You're listening to Misunderstood Podcast, where we're setting the record straight on all things misunderstood. I'm your host, Kelly Hall, pageant runner-up, model, speaker, entrepreneur, pageant queen, and U.S. Navy lieutenant. I may have never won a Miss USA title, but I am the queen of being misunderstood. Welcome to the show, guys. What's up, world? It's your favorite podcast host. Well, hopefully your favorite. I don't know. I might have other favorites, but it's Kelly Hall. And today I am speaking as Kelly Hall, podcast host, but also as Lieutenant Kelly Hall. What? Because I wanted to talk to you a little bit about my Navy story. It seems like such a basic concept, but when I assess, like, as I get ready to wrap up season one, I'm thinking, okay, what have I delivered? What does my audience want to know about me? What do they continue to ask about? And I have this incredible, like being multi-passionate, I have very different audiences who follow me and follow my podcast, which is great, but I have this huge following in the Navy and they ask me so many questions, but also anytime I'm around civilians, (laughs) civilians, love that word. They always ask me why Navy as well. So it's kind of like, you know what? I think I need to like go back to basics, tell the original story and really dive into why I chose this path and how I ended up where I am and what it's really been like because I get asked these questions all the time. So that's exactly what I want to get into today. I'm going to start from the beginning. There's this old like quote slash saying that we learn as plebes, which is a freshman at the Naval Academy. And as a plebe, you have to memorize like all these dumb things. Some of them are amazing, but some of them are just dumb. And one of them is like this old quote. It's like, how long you been in the Navy? And you have to respond, Army blooming life, sir. My father was Neptune. My mother was a mermaid. And like yada, yada, yada. But in all honesty, when people are like, oh, how long have you been in the Navy? I'm like, on oh, my blooming life. <laughs> Literally since, you know, before I was in the womb. That's how I feel at least because my family is like, we bleed U.S. Navy. It's an unreal. But honestly, my father is still in the Navy. He's a reservist now. He's been in the Navy for 30 years whoa, that's a long time. My mom has been a dedicated military wife for 30 years. My two older sisters both served in the Navy. (laughs) My brother-in-law served in the Navy. My soon-to-be brother-in-law, he's in the army, dare I say, but he's in the military. So we just have this huge military family. But 30 years ago, when my dad was looking to alter his life and change his life, and we did a whole podcast on it actually, But my mom was the one who convinced him to look into the military. And he just, he actually was going to go talk to the Air Force recruiter because he had family in Air Force, but their office was closed. And as all the recruiters know, this is why you always got to stay open and available because you're going to lose that contract. So what did my dad do? He went to the next office over and it was the U.S. Navy. And my mom was like, I know what, that's actually not that bad of a deal because... 
they have better uniforms and they have better duty stations. <laughs> and uh, the recruiter was like, that's very true. You're always going to be stationed near the coast. So as a, the tale as old as time goes, my dad joined the Navy in 1990, I believe. It was my my middle sister was a baby, but our, my mom was pregnant. So she didn't even have Anna yet. Wild. <laughs> my mom delivered Anna and my dad was at boot camp and my dad got like the Red Cross, you know, message like, hey, you have a baby, you know? And he's like, no way. Before I was even a thought of, I was like in baby heaven. My parents were in the Navy. Well, I kid you not, my parents really wanted to have a third child and they were having issues getting pregnant. And before the Navy, I mean, my dad had like no insurance nothing. Like my parents were super broke. So it would have just been out of the question to get any sort of like fertility help or treatment or anything. Well, the Navy put my mom on Clomid. And because of that, it's a fertility drug. And I don't know all the specifics, but because of that, here we are nine months later and boom, mom finds out she's pregnant with me. And to this day, my mom is like, they're like, you are literally here because of the Navy. Because if we didn't take Clomid, we probably would not have gotten pregnant with you. And so, you know, I was born and because of the Navy, but I was born in Oakland Naval Hospital in Oakland, California, where my dad was working as a corpsman in the very same hospital. So it's just like kind of insane. But so he was like ironing his uniform, dee, 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 like ready to go to work that day, head to the hospital. And my mom walked down. She was like, I don't think you're going to work to be a corpsman today. I think you're going to work to be a dad today. And he was like, what? She's like, my water just broke. So, you know, we ran off. Well, I say we, I guess I was there, but they ran off to the hospital and they delivered me. And here I am, product of the Navy, born at a naval hospital. And it really is crazy to think about that. Cause I would actually sit down with someone and tell them the whole story of like, Oh yeah, I was like born in a naval hospital and my dad was a corpsman and my parents got pregnant with me because of the fertility help. Thanks to the Navy and blah, blah, blah. They're like, Holy cow. You're like a Navy poster child. I'm like, I know. Um, so it's just so funny, but I had, I mean, I didn't know anything else all I knew was being a military kid. And my sisters and I, you know, we're all Navy brats. We moved around every three years and that was a lifestyle. And my mom's the supportive Navy wife. So my dad, he ended up, you know, commissioning later, becoming an officer. But, you know, we bounced from Virginia to San Diego and we landed in Italy and then Virginia. And we just, you know, we moved everywhere. And that really helped me learn how to adapt to my environment, become very flexible, be open-minded, definitely helped me with my social skills because, you know, I had to make friends every, you know, few years we're moving and you just learned really quickly, like you need to put down roots fast if you're going to actually enjoy that tour. So, you know, my mom would have us out with the kids playing and, you know, in the yard or the streets, like the day we moved in and we'd be meeting the neighborhood friends. And my mom, um, 
she would always bake something for the new neighbors and like bring it over to introduce herself. Something I still try to emulate to this day with moving around. But yeah, you had to like really adjust quickly and alter your course to whatever your environment was. I loved that. Like looking back, I'm so grateful I have those skills because it definitely has paid off today. Growing up in Italy, when I was a kid, I was um, third through fifth grade when we were living in Italy. I mean, I learned Italian. I was playing with Italian kids. I learned how to play soccer in the streets. We were learning all about the culture. It made us so open-minded. It was just a really incredible experience to go through as a child. And then I had a little bit of a different situation versus my sisters because my dad, he landed a job at the Pentagon and I was in sixth grade. So I actually got to stay in Virginia six through 12th until I graduated high school. So it was a little bit more of that normalcy instead of having to bounce around. But still being being a military kid and a Navy brat was was pretty incredible. So even with that experience, I kind of like, compartmentalized it as, oh, I'm a Navy brat. And that's as far as it'll go. I saw my dad putting on his uniform, you know, every day, Lieutenant Hall, Lieutenant Commander Hall, like, you know, going through all the different phases and he was so good at his job and highly respected, but I never was like, oh, I'm going to do that too. That's going to be me. Like, I don't, it was part of that like disconnect. And I, still think it's because of like the gender roles because I didn't see like a female doing it or I didn't see like a female that like looked like me or acted like me doing it. So I just kind of dismissed the idea and, and I was so proud of them, but I just kind of disconnected from it. And so I was proud Navy brat, but I was over here, you know, as a kid recording radio shows in my room and had a huge passion for photography and, you know, watched 13 going on 30 with Jennifer Garner and was like, I'm going to be a big time magazine editor. Like I'm going to end up in New York city. Like this is my path. And I really, I kid you not, I really dreamed of going to New York university. I just saw myself as more of a creative, always had a passion for journalism. Like that is where I really saw myself heading. That's what I was involved in. That's what I was doing. I had a poster of Katie Kirk on my wall. I wanted to be in media. I didn't really see the military as part of the equation. You know, it was just kind of like separated, right? Well, my parents supported me in all of my dreams. They kept, you know, feeling them for me and buying my cameras and allowing me to go to yearbook camp which is a thing. You know, I'd go to yearbook camp every year and nerd out and we called ourselves yeards, yearbook nerds, because I was so passionate about media and journalism, all those things. But they were secret geniuses and they sent me to the Naval Academy cross-country camp every single summer. So As I've spoken about quite a few times, I was kind of a kid prodigy when it came to running. And when my dad discovered I could run in, I'm not joking, like fourth grade, they always were kind of like, all right, you know what, what are we going to, we're going to have to take care of Kelly's legs and put her in camps and make sure that she feels this passion for track and cross country. So I started running in seventh grade at the middle school and I did very, very well. And then eighth grade. And then by eighth grade, I think my parents like 
for sure had their sights set on like me going to college for a track scholarship. And I believed it too, because I was, you know, I was winning a ton and I was like, oh, I can go to school on a track scholarship. Like, why can I do that? But in my head, I was thinking like NYU, you know, that's what I wanted to do. In their heads, they were like, Naval Academy. (laughs) And I didn't even know what the Naval Academy was. So again, military was just not on my mind, but they registered me for the Naval Academy cross-country camp the summer, I believe before my freshman year of high school. So I went there and stayed, you know, in the rooms for four days and I met the coach and met some of the, the seniors on the team and things like that, that were running the camp. But ultimately I didn't really think much of it. I thought the campus was cool, but I was there like, have a good time and meet the other cross country and track kids and run around and, you know, learn. I didn't feel like I was there for like recruiting. Well, then the next summer would come and my parents would send me to the Naval Academy cross country camp again. And then the next summer would come and they would send me again. And they were like so sneaky because by the time my junior year rolled around, I was, I had already placed in the state several times for track and I ran the mile, the four by four, the 800, and I was getting recruited by several colleges. And then I found out that I couldn't go to NYU on a scholarship because they were division three and they don't give track scholarships. And I was heartbroken. So then I was like, okay, like, where am I going to go? Like I have this whole stack of colleges who are looking at me for track. Which one do I want to head to? They were just so smart because that summer, of course, I had the truck and cross country camp. And so I went there. Of course, the coach knows me by name and now I'm eligible for recruiting. And so the coach is putting a little bit more of an effort into me and, you know, keeping a little extra eye on me and is a little bit more excited to see me. And I was like, oh, this is weird, whatever. And so before I left that camp that summer, I mean, she had pretty much solidified a date. She wanted me to come for my official recruiting visit for NCAA. And I still wasn't totally sold. I knew my parents wanted me to apply for the Naval Academy. And it was a beautiful school, but I didn't really know for sure that's what I wanted to do because I still had this passion for media and journalism and all those other things, which isn't what the Naval Academy is for. The Naval Academy is an engineering school and it's you know, ultimately you're commissioning as a naval officer. So I just didn't really see it as my path. I was like, this is a huge honor and would be an incredible school to go to, but I just feel pulled in this direction. Well, ultimately I went to several universities. I toured Mississippi State and like their university was beautiful. And I went to a football game and I rang the cowbell. I went to High Point University and holy cow, their dorm rooms look like mini condos. And it was amazing. And they had full candy bars waiting for you when you walked in and you're just being like wined and dined every time you went to a a campus or a school. And I was, you know, getting phone calls from VCU or a different SEC schools, which was so, so flattering. But after I went to all these different schools, I just realized that they all kind of starting to blend together a little bit. And like, obviously the students had so much pride and the faculty had so much pride. But for me, as someone who's always challenged myself and always done something different, always wanted to stand out, always wanted to maximize my potential, I was kind of like, so wait, going here, like, how is this going to be like 
super, super different or super, super hard. You know, their colors are different. Their mascots different. The way they operate football games is different. Love the way that they manage student athletes. You know, they have an excellent program for broadcast journalism, whatever it is. But I could see myself in the future graduating and kind of getting lost in the mix. You know, then I would just be like another student out trying to find a job, trying to, you know, go into the world with this broadcast journalism degree with no experience and a really good college time, you know? And so I just started seeing this, but and I wasn't really sold on anything. I was like, oh, that was fun. That was good, you know? And I started getting offers from different schools. Well, the very, very last school I toured was the U.S. Naval Academy. And again, I had been there several times at this point, gone there obviously for the track and cross country camps. I'd been there for football games, but it was just different. You know, I'm going there, I'm reporting as a recruit, being attached to one of the team members. I'm staying with her in her room. I'm going to her classes. And immediately when I'm walking into the school, the kids are different. Like the students hold their shoulders back. They walk different. They act different. They speak different. They have a different level of respect about them and the way that they speak to others. Their relationship with their professors was different. The level of difficulty was extremely different. The campus was incredible. I mean, I was just kind of blown away by how unique it was and how difficult it was. And I was dragging, use the word drag when you're a recruit, with Ashley Mannix. And she was such a hard worker. And, you know, she, instead of Friday night, when I was with most all the other recruits, when I was at most of the other universities, rather, you know, they were out on Friday night taking me to events. And they were like, oh, we have a football game. And they're like, let's go to different tailgates. Whereas... Ashley was like, ooh, you know, some of my teammates are going to go to dinner. I'd love for you to go with them. Like, I unfortunately have to do homework. And I was like, homework on a Friday night? She's like, yeah, like, the classes are really demanding. And that should have turned me away. But I was like, dang, like, that is some discipline. And that's kind of like the people I want to be around. Like, I want to be around people who work that hard and, you know, are challenging themselves and trying to push themselves further And ultimately, like you are becoming a naval officer. And so I've told the story before, but that night I went to dinner with the captains from the cross-country team. And I sat down with the captain and I said, just why? Why did you choose the Naval Academy? Like you could have gone anywhere in the world. Why Navy? And she said, well, I was being recruited by multiple schools. It was between Penn State and the Naval Academy. And I knew what my future would look like if I went to Penn State. You know, I knew what I would wear or what sorority I would join or what my dorm room would look like or kind of, you know, a normal college experience. She said, I didn't know what my future would look like if I joined the Naval Academy. And I'd probably always look back on my life and wonder what if. What if I'd gone to the Naval Academy? What if I had taken the harder route and taken the more challenging course? So I had to do it. And so I'm sitting in this restaurant called Pusser's. 17 years old. Actually, I might have been 16. I can't remember. And I'm thinking, crap, I got to go to the Naval Academy. (laughs) That just solidified my decision. I mean, I'm always going to look back and wonder, what if? And that same mantra is how I, I have looked at so many different opportunities in my life. If I just sit there for a second and I think, am I ever going to look back on my life and wonder, what if? 
And if the answer is no, then I'm like, perfect. If the answer is yes, I'm like, I got to do it. I got to do this. I got to dive into this. So I went to the Naval Academy and best decision of my life by far. I mean, I've had several other incredible decisions since then, but I mean, at 17 years old, I can't think of a more rewarding choice for me and for my future. It is very difficult. It is very selective. I think the statistic is like there's 19,000 people that apply. Someone fact check that, please. And 1,200 get selected for that class. It's really competitive, but I was super honored to join the class of 2014. And, you know, I, I did love my experience. It was hard, y'all, like very, very hard. You know, I've studied, worked my butt off, but I chose political science, but I also had to study engineering and math and chemistry and aerospace engineering and mechanical engineering and everything under the sun. Like it was definitely difficult, but it was worth it. And I had, I met my best friend there, Jackie, you guys all know her, my roommate. And it was just so worth it to go to something difficult and challenging and walk away from that, knowing that I did the hardest thing I could for me. And then I got through it. And once I got through that, I was like, once I graduated from the Naval Academy, there's nothing I can't do. So step aside world. (laughs) I'm here and I'm ready to attack you with full force. But once I neared my end, neared the end of my experience, the Naval Academy, you have to pick a service selection. And out of the Naval Academy, they commission line officers. So essentially, for those of you who don't really understand what the Naval Academy is, it's a four-year university. It's a D1 university, just like Alabama, just like LSU. It's a D1 university, but it's like an Ivy League private school-ish feel. So the education is Ivy League level and it's, you know, it's a gated community, completely private, that sort of thing. So we're all wearing uniforms. We have education, obviously, for like engineering, math, science, all that. But then we also have like our leadership and mentorship path and track because we are going to commission as naval officers and join the Navy. That is what everyone who goes to the Naval Academy, they become naval officers and you're going to serve in the Navy. So you go to college completely for free. I didn't pay for a single thing. Your uniforms are taken care of. Your room and board is taken care of. Your meals are taken care of. Your paper for your printer is taken care of. Like every single thing is taken care of ultimately because you're joining the Navy and you're serving your country. So it's like a full ride scholarship. You join the Navy as a line officer, which means you're going to be a Navy pilot, a Navy SEAL, a Naval flight officer, a surface warfare officer, a Marine Corps officer, which many of you don't know that the Naval Academy commissions Marine Corps officers because the Marine Corps is a department of the Navy. And then I'm missing one. I think that's what I'm missing. Nuclear officers, submariners. So anyways, you have to pick one of those five areas to commission into. So I'm a year out from graduating and trying to figure out what I want to do. I know I don't want to be a Marine officer because I grew up around Marines and I just did not have the personality for it. I'm already kind of a kook. So the fact that, you know, I was, I was not going to be able to be a Marine and be taken seriously whatsoever. Shout out to Jackie. She does an amazing job. She's an incredible Marine. Couldn't do it. I'm not, I'm not sharp enough. Navy SEAL at the time, 
Navy SEALs actually wasn't even open to females, but I mean, I could barely pick up my laundry. So I didn't think I would be eligible for Navy SEALs as well. I did try to become a Navy pilot. I thought that that would have been super cool, flying planes and helicopters. Heck yeah. But I was too short to fly. (laughs) So I'm a bustling 5'2", which is the minimum to fly. But to fly, you have to have different measurements taken. So they measure your butt to knee length and your arm length and your sitting height. And it's crazy, y'all. But my butt to knee length was an inch too short. I know. So I couldn't fly. I was pretty devastated about it because I really wanted to for a second there. So that left nuclear option, which Lord knows I was not smart enough for. And then surface warfare. So surface warfare means you're going to end up on a ship and you're going to be in charge of sailors. So you're just immediately hitting the fleet and you're going to be in charge of sailors. That's like traditional Navy. And it's not the most popular choice because it's very demanding. But... Ultimately, I was like, you know what? I joined the Navy and I'm going to fulfill that mission. You know, like that's why I came here to the Naval Academy is to be a leader, to be on a ship, take care of sailors. So I'm going to do that role. So I I chose surface warfare and that's what I commissioned as. So I chose the USS Pickney DDG-91 to report to out of San Diego, California. I left, I mean, I graduated in May of 2014. I had about a month off and then I reported and my ship was already on deployment. So I actually had to fly out to meet my ship in Guam. I had to meet my ship in the Pacific somewhere. (laughs) Maybe it was Hawaii, but I had to meet my ship out on deployment and I was out at sea for, I think, uh, several months. Let's see, three months. They were wrapping up deployment when I met them. So they had already been out at sea for like six months. So you can imagine me popping up and being like, hey guys, what's up? And they're like, shush, we're annoyed by you already. (laughs) Because they'd already been out at sea for six months. But yeah, so that was like the, wow, that was a huge learning curve to go right into being out at sea. You know, I think I was literally driving the ship in the middle of something called Guamex, Guam exercises. We were with the Japanese Maritime Defense Fleet and the Japanese Navy had their ships and we had our ship and we were doing like maneuvers with the Japanese fleet. And I was driving the ship on like my second day on board. And I, my only background was like what I learned at the Naval Academy. So I was like, well, hopefully I paid attention enough in freaking seamanship class. Like <laughs> it was I, thrown in to the deep end, mind you, with like weights on my ankles. It was definitely a lot. But it's very difficult. Being a service warfare officer, no glitz, no glam. You are number one. You need to be there for your sailors. And that's that's why I did like that job. I was first lieutenant on my ship. I had 26 incredible bosun mates. They taught me so much. And I had the most amazing senior chief. He was this huge, big black guy. He was an Ohio State fan, which I absolutely love now. I learned so much from them. And I was like, you know what? At the end of the day, even if I'm not the best surface warfare officer and I don't know everything about the ship, I need to be the best officer I can be for them. And that was my ultimate goal. And then secondly, it's very demanding because of the work schedule. I mean, ultimately, those ships are made to be at sea. So you have to be ready all the time to respond to crises or, you know, 
something bad happening in the world. And we had a lot of maintenance that the ship was undergoing. So it was just a lot. And the the other officers that are on there, you know, they are a world of knowledge and being new. I mean, you don't have years and years of experience of being on the ship. You have like a really steep learning curve. It was definitely stressful and it was definitely a lot. Some of my friends loved it and killed it and they just literally picked it up in a second. Like, I don't know how they did it. Everyone has their skills. I really struggled through it for sure. And I actually remember the first time I got a migraine. (laughs) I never had migraines before in my entire life, but we were doing carrier operations in the Pacific in the rain at night. And carrier operations is when like my little tiny boat, (laughs) essentially it's a warship, but it's also a little tiny boat compared to a massive carrier of 5,000 people. You know, you're lining up with the carrier so that way planes can see you so they know where to land on the carrier because carriers, which hold 5,000 sailors, also have Navy planes because you may not know this, we don't have, the Air Force does not land on Navy ships. Navy planes land on Navy ships. So we're in the middle of the ocean and these incredible Navy pilots are landing on Navy ships. So it's our job to line our boat up with the carrier so that way they can have a perfect line of sight and land on the on the carrier. Well, again, I'm like a week and a half into being a service warfare officer and Little Kelly Hall's like, you know, blown away and doesn't know how to do absolutely anything. I don't even know how to get to my room at this point, but I'm the conning officer during carrier operations and it's a six hour evolution. So six hours, middle of the night, you know, it's raining, trying to figure out how to do this. And I had another ensign who was helping me out, thank God. But, you know, it's in full energy for that amount of time, making sure you're you're perfect and you adjusting and steering your course just so and you're responding and, and doing comms with carrier and all of that. And I got back to my room and I laid in my rack and my head felt like it was going to explode. Like, I kid you not, it felt like someone had reached in my forehead squeezed my brain and just kept pulsing it. And I was like, what is happening to me? Am I dying? Like, I was like, I don't think I'm having a stroke because I think strokes you like something happens with your right arm, right? Like, I was like, I don't think I'm having a stroke, but something's happening to me. So I slept for like 10 hours straight. And I woke up the next morning. I was like, well, that was rough. I'm assuming it's just because it was a really stressful situation. And that was my very first time doing carrier operations. Well, what ended up happening, and I've never shared this before, but I am one of those people that I care a lot. And because I care a lot, I really hold on to emotions internally. I really harness things internally. And when I know I'm not doing a good enough job, when things are stressful, when I'm not being, I'm not keeping up or I just feel like I'm doing a poor job. Like I just could feel, you know, myself physically reacting to that. And that's what my life kind of felt like that first year. I think absolutely 
everyone struggles in their first year at any job. But my body just kind of reacted in a multitude of ways. And it was anxiety and it was migraines. And I didn't know what either of those things were. I didn't know what anxiety was and I didn't know what migraines were. I just could tell I was sometimes throwing up as soon as I pulled into my parking spot at work because I was so fearful that I would do a bad job that day because I sometimes was. I sometimes was not good enough and I wasn't keeping up well enough and I wasn't learning fast enough and I was trying and I was studying, but it wasn't just coming naturally to me. And as much and much and much as I tried and I studied and I worked, I always kind of fell short. And so over time, I didn't even know this, but this anxiety started building up in me. And that anxiety started turning into consistent migraines, which I also did not know was a thing. And all I knew is that almost once a week, my head was like literally feeling like it was going to explode. And I was like sensitive to light and it wasn't just a headache because it, it was one of those debilitating things where I needed to curl up in a ball and go into a dark room and no one could talk to me because it was like, it hurts so bad. But it always kind of stemmed from that anxiety first. So this went on for about a year and a half and I didn't know what it was at all. And I kind of come from a background where I don't like to admit that there's something wrong. I don't like to admit that I've never really had medical problems and really had medical issues. Really never had any issues. Even in track and cross country, in my years there, I didn't get hurt. Like, didn't really take any medication. I was always like a very, very healthy person. And it was the person I was seeing at the time. He was like, this isn't normal. I'm like... I know, but I, you know, I have a job to do and, you know, I made a commitment to the Navy and I don't really know what else to say. And so it took me about a year plus to actually say something to my ship doctor on board. And I was kind of like, Hey, you know, I'm getting sick once a week. This is going on for months and months and months. I'm getting nauseous. And then I'm getting these debilitating headaches thereafter. And I don't really know what it is. And it was like, it's probably a bad salad. <laughs> I'm like, well, you know what? I'm not eating bad food every week for the last seven months. Like, I think there's something weird going on. And he was like, well, why don't you just monitor it for like a few more weeks? Could you be pregnant? And I was like, no, I'm not. Absolutely not. And so I didn't really get any help there. And then I would tell certain people. And then there was just kind of like this stigma of when you're on a a ship tour, people are you know trying to get off the ship tour. You know, women are literally getting pregnant, so they don't have to be on sea duty anymore. And everyone's trying to get off a ship and not serve. And there's just like certain stigmas of people who are not trying to fulfill their service. I went to the Naval Academy so I could become an officer, so I could serve, so I could ultimately make a difference in my country. That was the goal. You know, it wasn't like I was like, oh. I regret my decision. Never mind. I don't want to do this anymore. It was like, I'm just really don't understand why I'm always in pain. And it wasn't until I 
was at like a female checkup, I had to bring it up to my gynecologist and say, by the way, this is happening to me because I went to four other doctors and they didn't believe me. And they just thought that I was trying to get like out of, like out of my duty or out of my like C duty or whatever. And my gynecologist was like, that's very strange. It sounds like you get migraines. And I was like, what is a migraine? And she was like, these are all the symptoms. And I was like, that's exactly what I get. And she's like, I'm going to give you a referral for a neurologist. And I was like, oh, imagine that, like a referral to actually see a specialist. Like that would be nice. I needed to, you know, at that point, like, yeah, I had never really been sick before or had any medical problems, but I needed to talk to someone. (laughs) Like I wasn't healthy. And so my gynecologist referred me to a neurologist, a Navy neurologist. And this woman has no idea how much she impacted my life to this day. Dr. Sarah Hodges, she was a Navy neurologist down in San Diego at Balboa Hospital. I talked to her for about five minutes and I told her my symptoms. And I said, for the last year and a half, you know, I'm yeah, this like nausea and then I throw up and I'm knocked out for a day and I have these headaches and I can't drive. I can't be in light. I have to curl up in a ball. I can't do anything. I can't eat. And she was like, you have migraines with aura. 100%. And I was like, what? She's like, yep. And she like showed me all the signs and symptoms. She's like, I'm going to give you some prescriptions and just like, let me know if they get better. And they did, they did get a little bit better, but they didn't completely go away. And so when they didn't completely go away, my ship started going out to sea and you cannot serve underway or be on sea duty and have migraines. Because as I mentioned, they completely knock you out. And if you have had a migraine, it's so it's funny because there's two types of people in the world, people who have had migraines, people who haven't. The people who have had not had a migraine, they're like, you're being a baby. It's like a headache, you know, go serve. And it's like, okay, well, you don't understand. If you've had a migraine, you understand you are knocked out, like cold. You can't do a thing. It is the most debilitating thing ever. It's like getting tased and, but being awake to experience it, you can't do a single thing. And that's why you can't serve on a ship. If you get frequent migraines, because imagine being the person in charge of the weapon systems or in charge of driving the ship or in charge of these multi-million dollar equipment. And then all of a sudden you get a migraine and you're like, just kidding, guys can't show up to work today better luck next time. And that was the issue. And that's what was happening for me is that I wasn't able to be there for my division and other officers were having to step in and it was putting a lot of stress. Luckily, I had the most incredible sailors and the most incredible senior chief that cared about me. And they were very understanding and they still support me to this day. They have never said a foul thing about me. But it was the extra stress that it was adding to the other officers. It was like, we have to fill in for her because she's sick. And I think that's where tension builds. And I felt terrible. And ultimately, I had to go on limited duty and I had to be assessed medically if I was still able to serve. That sucked. I mean, I will just blatantly share that was really, really scary because I didn't know what my future held. 
I didn't know if I was going to get kicked out of the Navy. I didn't know if I was going to get healthy. I didn't know if I was going to get kicked out of the Navy and then have to deal with migraines on my own. Like I didn't know what was going to happen, but thankfully I did get put on limited duty for a six month period. And during that period, it's all about getting healthy. And so I was able to go to appointments and figure out like what worked better. And I was able to get a lot healthier. And during that six month period of my life, there was an opportunity to apply to become a human resource officer. And I was told there was a very, 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 very slim chance that this would happen because it's the most competitive community to get into. There are not that many officers in it, and most of the officers that get into it, they are qualified, that have surface warfare pins. They've been in the Navy for several years. So me, being so junior and a Lieutenant JG, was probably not going to get picked up. But you know what? I was not going to give up. I, again, I went to the Naval Academy. I joined the Navy because I wanted to maximize my potential, but make a difference. And I didn't, like, I could have, that was my get out of jail free card. I could have been like, well, bye Navy, whatever. No, that wasn't me. That was not who I am. I wanted to serve. And so I applied for the human resources community and I kicked my butt trying to put together this incredible package, letting the Navy know I'm still going to be an asset. Yep. My first two years on the ship were difficult and I got sick and I had a hard time and I wasn't able to show my value, but it doesn't stop there. I still have value to add to the Navy. And by miracle in July of 2016, I got a phone call from then Captain Milinkovich and he said, you are one of two applications that got picked up for the human resources community. And I was like, what? (laughs) And he said, you... You put in absolutely everything you could have into your package. You put your heart and soul and you didn't give up. And that's the kind of officer that we want in our community. So pack your bags because you're going to be going to Columbus, Ohio in six weeks. (laughs) And I was pretty upset because I was like, wait, there's not even an ocean there. Why am I going to Ohio? But that was the absolute best decision of my career, of my career, because everything happens for a reason. You know, I don't think I was meant to be a surface warfare officer. It didn't come naturally for me. I definitely struggled. I wasn't good at it, but I was trying my damnedest to be as good as I could be. It just, my body reacted in the way I could have never foreseen. And now I'm in the human resources community I ended up going to Ohio. I reported to Navy Recruiting District Ohio in September of 2016 as the officer programs officer in recruiting and immediately knew this is where I'm supposed to be. This is my value. This is where I'm going to be an added asset to the Navy and by golly, I was. I feel like I had, you know, I had innovated ideas. I was the demographic of the people that they were trying to reach out to. You know, they were trying to recruit. I was 24 at the time. They were trying to recruit my peers and most of the recruiters were in their late 30s. So I was like, hey, this is what I would do. This is what I would respond to. I later became a recruiter myself. And I started my social media campaign 
people made fun of me. People said it wouldn't work. But within, you know, just a few short months, my Facebook and my Instagram took off on social media. I was able to become recruiter of the year for medical programs in 2019 and put over 24 people into the Navy, into the medical core for the Navy, which was pretty awesome. And it's so awesome to see those people's lives change. But looking back, knowing that is where I was supposed to end up. That is where I was supposed to make the difference. You know, we all have our jobs. We all have different roles to play. And even to this day, there are people who attack me. There are people who write me really mean things. There are people who comment. There are people who make fun of me for not having a surface warfare pen or for not being on deployment. Or there are people who want to (laughs) make comments about the fact that I'm not a Navy SEAL. And I'm like, what? But let me just say this. Any person who joins the military service, whether it's as a reservist and it's part-time, whether it's a full-time active duty, whether it's the person who fills out the paperwork as a admin officer or it's a supply officer or it's the person stocking the shelves or it's the person answering the phones or it's the person storming the fields or it's the person loading the guns or it's the person learning the codes or it's the person driving the ships or it's the person learning how to launch the torpedoes or it's the person manning the fleet. We all have jobs to do. I am unbelievably proud to work in recruiting. It's the most rewarding job to me. Because working in recruiting means these people, these people that were once civilians, my favorite word, just changed their lives. And I know it's for the better because I've seen that life change in my dad and my family and my parents. I've seen that life change in my sister and what she did in her 10 years in the Navy. I've seen how it affected me in my life. And it was the best decision I ever made in my entire life. It had its ups and downs. It had its hardships. But if I'd never joined the Navy, I would have never met my husband to be. (laughs) Like, I would have never ended up in Ohio. I would have never met Austin. We would never be getting married. There's so many, I would have never competed in a pageant. I would have never landed in Los Angeles. I would have never done so many things. I would never be the person I am today because of the Navy. It all started because I decided to go to the Naval Academy. And working in recruiting, I know that that's what people are going to go through themselves. It's the most rewarding thing. And you know what? If I have to get attacked on social media because I'm not deployed right now, or I have to get attacked on social media because I'm not, you know, storming the fields in my boots. Like that's fine because working recruiting is so dang rewarding. I will do it every day and I will take the heat for it because my recruiters are the hardest working sailors I know. And I have so much respect for them. And I'm so proud 
to now be the officer in charge of Talent Acquisition Onboarding Center Hollywood here in Los Angeles, California. I have just under 50 people in my charge. And I've been in the Navy for, oof, how long has it been? Six and a half years? (laughs) Whoa. I graduated in 2014 and I hit my six-year mark in July. So we're about to hit six and a half years soon of active duty service. And I have no regrets. It's been incredible. So that is my journey. That is how I ended up where I am. I did accept my orders. Here's a rumor, um, but I wanted to just set the record straight real quick. I accepted my orders to Los Angeles the day before I met Austin, which kills me. I think it's so funny. My detailer called me and let me know. And I said, I wanted to stay in recruiting. Obviously it's where my passion is. And she was like, well, I do have one set of orders in LA. And I was like, I'll take it because I was single at the time. And I thought it would be super fun. And then the next day I got set up with Austin on a date. And then here we are. So (laughs) Austin had to pack his bags and come with me. But It's been an incredible ride and I have absolutely zero regrets whatsoever. So I'm going to add a couple links to the show notes about Naval Academy admissions. If you're interested at all in talking to me, one of my members of my team, my talent scouts about the Navy, I will add the link as well in my show notes. We're always happy to talk with you. Also, my Instagram for the Navy is at Lieutenant Hall. But yeah, feel free to talk feel free to chat. I think the best thing you can do is just find out your options, but I hope this helps you guys. And I hope this helped give you a little bit more insight about me and my Navy journey. I'm not going to do questions with Kelly today because I feel like I just talked about myself for 50 minutes, but hopefully this answered some of your questions. And as always, like, please reach out post what you learned, take a screenshot of this episode. I want to hear your highlights, your favorite things, leave a review. Thanks for coming to Misunderstood for a better understanding of me, my Navy story, and all things misunderstood. Thanks guys. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Misunderstood Podcast. I love hearing from you guys. And I want you to take a screenshot of this episode, tag at misunderstood.podcast on Instagram and share a takeaway from today's episode. Something you loved, something you wanted more of, whatever it is, it helps me learn what you guys want to hear. Please consider leaving a review on iTunes or Spotify. I want to give a special shout out to my friends at Hatch for producing this episode. If you're looking to launch a podcast or if you already have one, you can get unlimited podcast editing by visiting usehatch.fm. That's usehatch.fm. Thanks so much, guys. Until next week, this is your misunderstood Kelly Hall. Kelly Hall.